1: Welcome to another episode of The Theatre Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am your host, Alan Seals. And
0: I am your producer, Jillian Hoffman.
1: And we launched a Patreon. Yes, we did. Please visit us at thetheatrepodcast.com slash Patreon to show your support in any way that you feel is appropriate. Our basic level is just for support. We have super, super duper levels that can get you merch, that can get you included in these reflection sections, that get your name in show notes. There's so many different options and... When we get to a certain number of patrons, then we're going to do a couple of nice things. Like one of my favorite things that I want to do is really start paying for a service to give us transcriptions so that we can make the, the episodes more accessible to those who may want to read it instead of listen to it. But um, anyway, without further ado, this episode is with Christopher Sieber, who is now starring in The Prom on Broadway, which was just nominated for seven Tony Awards, including Best New Musical and... Jillian, have you noticed that his character, Trent Oliver, continues a trend of characters that he continues to play who are really full of themselves?
0: Yeah, Chris, Christopher has a, a habit of always picking up really great, juicy characters who are just narcissistic, selfish, crazy men. Um, but, but he's nothing but he's like not. that. He's so
1: nice. He's nothing like that. And That's acting. There was one thing that I wish I had asked him in the interview that, like, in retrospect, I, I wish I had that I didn't, was if he actually has a problem playing, or not a problem, but if it's more difficult for him to play the real-life character or play the not-exaggerated character. Mm-hmm. But
0: He just plays narcissistic so well. <laughs> Can you play non-narcissistic people? Chris, let us know.
1: But… He also has a reputation. There's been several times when he's gone into full productions with like four days notice.
0: Yeah, he is someone who has just jumped in and said yes. And he trusts his own abilities and knows what he can do. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? So he he talks about a couple different shows where he had sometimes less than a week to learn a whole production and, and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that is some… True artistry right there.
1: Yeah, it was Spamalot. It was funny because he came in and the sides he was given, he already had memorized mm-hmm. he was a kid. He was a, a fan of Monty he was a Python. Monty Python fan. But uh, yeah, anyway, everyone please enjoy this episode with Christopher Sieber. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up?
0: Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
1: Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with two-time Tony-nominated actor, nominated for his performances in Spamalot as Galahad and in Shrek as the wonderful Lord Farquaad. He's also been seen in Matilda. Pippin, Chicago, Lacage, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and Hair, with a career spanning 25 years on Broadway and a successful TV career, which includes one of my personal favorites, Pushing Daisies. In addition to the role of Kevin Burke in Two of a Kind, starring (laughs) Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, he's now starring as Trent Oliver in The Prom, which has been nominated for seven 2019 Tony Awards, including Best New Musical, Chris Sieber. Welcome to the podcast. Hello.
0: Hello. Hi. Gosh, when you say all that stuff, it's amazing. 25 you, years? I know. I've I just kind of, I've been very lucky. I just went from one thing to the next. So I I, I I, could, but when you say it out loud, it's crazy. I cut some stuff too. I know. You forgot <laughs> Into the Woods. Oh, yes. Yeah, Into, into the, the Woods. Yeah, with Vanessa Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, and uh, a little show called Paper Moon that where Brooks Ashmanskis and I actually met. We actually did sign a Broadway contract. So we actually consider it a Broadway credit because we did get paid two weeks salary when the producer said, we're not coming into New York. <laughs> so oh. I met, that was 26 years ago where I met Brooks Ashmaniscus. Isn't that crazy? Wow. But yeah, I mean, and now yeah. uh, we think, just thinking about all that stuff they just said, it's insane. Because um, like I said, 26 years ago, that's kind of when I started. and And now we have kids in our show, The Prom, that weren't even born yet you have 13 kids yeah and they're all under 26 or less so it's (sighs) the liver spots are bursting on my skin let me just tell you that you don't look a day i don't you know what it is sunscreen moisturizer every day every single day yep jillian's point yeah jillian our engineer here is shaking her head yes yeah i i just don't wash my face. Oh, you gotta yeah. wash your face. That's not true. I do wash, wash face. my face. Wash your wash face, my face, sunscreen and moisturizer. Do I just you? do a thirty SPF every single day. Yeah. That's. I actually I will do that because yeah, on, you, it's really your easy. skin looks really good. It's really good, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Except for the inherited um, dark circles and eye bags under my eyes. Yeah, I got those. Thanks, Grandma. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Grandma. Thanks, you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, yeah. yep. thanks, thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Jane Sieber. Well.
1: Tell me about, tell me about <laughs> grandma. <transition> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Jane, let's talk about Jane. We just, I go off on tangents, just so you know. I will go off somewhere left field, and then we'll finally get back to your question eventually. Anyway, well,
1: I will undoubtedly come up with five more questions okay. on your cool. journey. So all right. we're in good, you're in good company.
0: But tell me about Jane Sieber. Tell me about where you grew up. Uh, Jane, Jane? Jane Sieber, my grandmother. Okay, well, I grew up in a very small town called Wyoming, Minnesota. Wait, and Wyoming Minnesota. Wyoming, Minnesota, it was kind of like a really boring, sleepy little farm town. And, um, they really couldn't come up with an original name. So they named it after a state. So it's Wyoming, <laughs> Minnesota, <laughs> the two most boring states. Actually, Minnesota is awesome. I love Minnesota. I I mean, it, it gave me, uh, uh, I, I think it built me who I am now. My resilience and my, my, uh, my sense of humor came from that. Um, but we grew up, yeah, like a small town. It was a, it was a, a town. It's, uh, Mostly soybeans, cornfields, and pigs is where I grew up. But we didn't grow up on a farm. I uh, but we grew up downtown Wyoming, mm-hmm. which is you know it didn't. When I grew up there, when I when I moved there, it had a population of 642, and they had a four-way stop. That was it. We had a bar, we had a hardware store, oh, a tiny tiny, a grocery store, and a gas station, and that is all we had. That's all we had. Wow. And a four-way stop. Uh, oh, we had a bank too. Yeah the first, what is it? Wyoming's first state bank. Did you have a blockbuster? No, no, we didn't have anything. I mean, the nearest town was about five miles away and that was even a, it was a larger, smaller town. Yeah. But yeah, we were about 30 miles north of the twin cities. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. And you're the middle of three? I'm middle of three, three
0: boys. Yes. Mike is the eldest. I'm the middle. And Mark, my younger brother is, uh, the, the youngest. And, uh, they're both married with uh, kids, and now my now my older brother has, has both his kids have left the house. They're empty nesters already. Wow! Oh my god! And um, uh, they my brother's a computer engineer, and he does all sorts of stuff with computers, and he builds firewalls for like McAfee and Norton Virus, and it's really cool. He's got this huge computer screen craziness in his uh, one of his in his uh, rooms in his house, and he works from home, and he builds fire. He's it's very kind of like FBI kind of cool that's stuff that's crazy he's cool. got um, like you know that nine screen layout that you see on the movies he's yeah. got that yeah he does that and it's really cool one of the
1: screen always has the matrix
0: yeah code it on does it. Yeah. it's cool I, I he says you want to see my office i said sure so i went in there and i saw this whole huge thing i was like how do you see what what are you doing <laughs> i have no idea i mean he doesn't know what i do i mean he gets an idea he's just fire finished product which is you know the show but you know i don't know idea what how we, what he does Anytime I have a computer problem, I said, Mike, can you fix my computer? And he's, yeah, yeah, bring it over here. So the answer is less porn. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much the answer every time. Yeah. You got to, that fills up the
1: hard drive. (laughs) Oh, hey, yo. Yeah. Um, When did
0: performing come
1: in then? And I guess, like, obviously, your brother, did you perform together? And he just was like, Oh, no, I was,
0: I was always the weird kid in school. I was a young fat toad like boy with thick glasses. I mean, I have thick glasses now, but they're thinner lenses, but, um, uh, (laughs) I have a very bad vision and, um, uh, I, my parents had this fantastic picture window in the front of the house that was almost floor to ceiling. And they had the curtains that went from floor to ceiling and they would open like a proscenium, like a theater. And, um, I always pictured, like, the front yard as an audience, and I would put on shows in the living room, and um, my younger brother, Mark, would act as stage manager, and we, he would drop a needle on a record, and I'd <laughs> lip sync to, like, uh, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and Dinah Washington, and um, what, uh, Barry Manilow was, was quite the hit for the, uh, the grass. The grass loved it, and unsuspecting neighbors driving by. <laughs> yeah, uh, I put on shows, and the shows were about five minutes long. And I'd I'd put on shows and I usually just for myself, you know, but imagining, you know, one day that I'd be on a stage and looking out and seeing an audience or not seeing an audience because they're in the dark. But, uh, (laughs) you know, um, I would put on shows and one was called the, the, what was it? The Christopher Sieber Comedy Cavalcade of 1976. (laughs) I thought it was funny, um, but I didn't have quite an audience, you know. And besides the blades of grass, yeah, the blades of grass and, you know, the dogs and the people walking by or riding their bikes. <laughs> <laughs> by. Yeah. I, I, I put on shows, but yeah, we, I would lip sync to records mostly. When, when was this? How old were you? I was probably seven, seven. I started. So when did you know, but, you know, you grew up in this small town. There is nothing to do. And there was no internet internet. There was none. I mean, we had, what is, I don't even know what you call it. Terrestrial TV. You know, the antenna TV. Y-
1: yeah. That's yeah. what
0: we had. And we had five channels. That's it. And I had the records. I had my, my parents had the vinyl records. So I would listen to records all the time with the headphones on and just scream at the top of my lungs and drive them crazy. Um, but it would, uh, it was, um, there was just nothing to do. So I had to entertain myself. And then I, at school in elementary, it was a very, very small elementary school too. I think there was maybe 60 kids uh from first to sixth grade about 60 kids total. was it all in the same building it like was in one the same building yet? and it was there were only six classrooms wow and first second third fourth fifth and sixth grade and that was it so and you knew everybody I, you for, really do I, yeah. you knew everybody you knew everybody's dog you knew everybody's car um and the gossip that went around was really juicy Oh yeah, I'm sure the dating life was either really good or really bad. Real, I, I would not know anything about that, but um, you know, so there was nothing to do. So I put on shows and and uh, trying to entertain myself, and I try to entertain others. But a lot of people just kind of like turned the other way. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's Christopher. He's just doing weird stuff again.
1: Well, where did where did, I mean, at what age you said you were seven you were putting on the shows? But at what age did you did you then realize like, oh, I think I kind of want to make a career out of this, or did that um, come? It was
0: late? around third grade. Um, like in, the, in this, so in the small Wyoming elementary school, um, I think her name was Ms. Bobson, my third grade teacher. They decided that um, I was uh, I was special, and I had some sort of talent or something, and so they decided, or the gifted children, and so they decided that they, I should probably be be um, shipped off to Minneapolis once or twice a week to go to the Children's Theater Minneapolis, where you could be part of something and kind of be in a show or just be, kind of be around in it or whatever. And um, that was the first taste of actual experience in front of a huge audience where I was, I think I played a cookie. I, I think the play, the play was called The Cookie Jar <laughs> and it was a children's theater. So of course it's cookies. So I was dressed as a cookie. I didn't have any lines, but I felt the rush of the audience, you know, the, the applause from the audience. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I want to do. Oh my God. People get paid for this? Oh, my God. And I wanted to do that. Um, I did eventually play. I think I was in – yeah, I was in a play called The Little Match Girl as well uh, at the children's theater. Did you play the girl or the match? No, I I didn't. I was was just a a townsfolk. But they had all these layers and levels and stuff like that. And – where you could just jump off because one scene you had, there was a blackout and and the entire town had to disappear. So everybody had to basically jump off these ramps into these big crash cushions. And I remember that was the greatest thrill of all. just being on stage and then disappearing and then getting to fall on a big mat backstage. That was, that was fun. But then hearing the audience applaud was that I was just, that was like crack.
1: What, yeah. what, What is that about? I mean, a lot of, a lot of actors, is it validation? Is it attention? Is it like, what were you getting from the audience? I think because it was, it when, in
0: my living room, I didn't have applause. You know, I was all alone. The, you know, the swing, you know, the, the wheatgrass <laughs> yeah. out the front <laughs> yeah. swaying back and forth. But I, I think I, I had finally, yeah, I guess maybe validation, you know. But I liked, I liked making people laugh. And it was, you know, was kind of like, you know, I was the class clown and I turned it into a career, I always say. Because I just made people laugh because I was, like I said, a fat toady little boy. And the bullies would come after me. And the best way to make them get on your side is to make them laugh and i would do that and it just kind of turned in i i knew how to make people laugh um so that's that's i guess how it happened and so
1: yeah so then you were doing you were getting shipped off to minneapolis yeah and then was high school different or did you or you know what then I skipped and, and then
0: I skipped because you go through puberty and you go through all the ugly phases and you're just you know you're just odd you don't know who you are and you're trying to fit in but I learned too that you you know the less you fit in the better you are and um if you don't play the game the way everybody wants you to play it the more you stand out so I I started doing that and that's indeed what happened and then I got involved um, more in speech speech and theater in in high school more than anything um and the local community theater, which is the Maskers Theater Company in Force Lake, Minnesota, which is three miles away from Wyoming, Minnesota. And uh, I did shows with them. And then in high school, I did uh, shows. And, and there is where it really clicked hard. So much so that um, I had some teachers in, in Force Lake Senior High that, uh, saw something in me and they took me aside. My friends, and I call them friends now because they were amazing. Uh, Jane Gillis, Henry Hebert, and Deb Bendix. They took me aside one day. They brought me into the teacher's lounge and they said, we need to talk to you. And it was like an intervention. <laughs> and they said, well, you need to get out of here. And this was like 11th grade. You need to get out of here. What do you mean? And I, I'm like tearing up and everything. And I was like that you were in trouble. I thought I was in trouble because yeah. they, you know, I, I, always, I always hung around not older people, but more mature people. Cause I, like I said, I didn't play the games of like high school and all. I didn't, you know, I learned that being in a click doesn't make you popular.
1: Mm-hmm. Being in
0: the click makes you popular. Um, you know, being part of that makes you popular, but when you actually break it apart, there's nothing there. I mean, I wanted connections with people. So I actually knew people's middle names. I knew their eye color, but you ask anybody in the click, you know, the popular click, I'm using air quotes, how boring, but if you, you know, if you ask anybody in that clique of the perceived popular people, they couldn't tell you anything about these people. They were just a group on mass and they were protected because they were part of this weird group. Mm -hmm. And I, I went opposite of that. But anyway, so my teachers, uh, they took me aside and they said, you need to get out of here. You need to find a school in New York. Like, and they make this happen because this is something you should really do. And I said, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, my parents didn't have any money. So I, uh, they said, well, we'll help you. And they, they did, they brought, they drove me to Minneapolis and we went to the Minneapolis public library and we, uh, looked for schools and, uh, we found a few. And, um, and then I was accepted to the American musical dramatic Academy in New York city. And, um, and then from that point on, I worked my butt off to save every dime I possibly could to get myself to New York. And I came, I came to New York with about, I think $6,000, which is a lot of money in a year for working basically two or three minimum wage jobs. Mm -hmm. But I worked every single day after high school, after, after school, before school. Um, every weekend, I never had a break. I was just go, 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 because I knew I had to do this. So I paid for my own airfare and I paid for my own apartment. Um, and I came to New York and I soon realized that toilet paper just doesn't appear, <laughs> and soap just doesn't appear um and no one does your there's no one to do your laundry you have to do it so it was it was quite the shock for me um but also um six thousand uh, dollars in nineteen eighty eight you know it was a considerable amount of money and then uh you live in new york city and and it goes fast, boy, did it go fast so I was out of money probably within less than six months, no you know? kidding, yeah. Did you have survival jobs? Well, because I, oh yeah. I worked at the last, uh, there was a toy store called The Last Wound Up on 73rd and Columbus Avenue. And it was in 1988, 1989, 1990. I worked there uh, part-time and um, it was a little wind-up store. So all these little toys, they had hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of wind-up toys, little plastic things, you know, made in Mm -hmm. Japan and China. And um, it was cool. And and they had music boxes and everything. And um, so that's what I did probably, hmm, Probably seven hours out of the day, I worked at a windup store. Plus, I went to school at the same time. Then I worked at Men's Express, you know, the fashion store on Columbus oh, yes. Avenue. And then I worked, uh, I was a personal assistant for this guy named Barry Hendrickson, who um, had done hair and wigs for The Mystery of Edwin Drood, the original production. And I got to know him. And that was one of my first, um, I guess, mature. He wasn't mature. I mean, he, right now, he. when I met him, he was younger than I was not him now, but he was probably in his mid to late thirties. And he he was the first kind of comfortable, openly gay man that I met in New York city. And he was just fine. And I was grew up, I grew up in Minnesota in a small town where of course you can't do that. You can't be that. Of course I was, but, um, he, Barry uh, was this wonderful, wonderful guy who taught me just chill, be, be cool. It's okay. So you're gay, whatever. And, um, he, he brought me out, uh, he brought me out that he was, he brought me to, he, he brought me, this is so gross, but he, he brought me to, um, he said, we're going out. I was like, okay, great. We're going out. And I think I'm 19 at, maybe at this time, maybe. And he said, we we're going to the Eagle, which is, you know, for those of you who don't know the Eagle, the Eagle is a pretty much an SM leather bar for bears, you know, hairy big guys. And there is a back room there. So he says, I'm not going to let you out of my sight, but we're going in here just so you can see, I'm giving you slices of life. Okay. We're not going to stay long. So let's just go. And I just want to show you stuff. So we went down there and he said, <laughs> so he said, so just, so just come with me. And I, I got in there and it, Like, listen, I am adorable. Now you should have seen me when I was 19. I was adorable so cute. So I walk into this bar, this darkened bar with all these, you know, guys in leather and chains and, and they're kind of like, yeah, look at this guy. look at this young little thing popping in there. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm Barry, 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 Barry. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. So he says, now come with me. I just want to show you. We're not doing anything. I just want to show you when he brings me back to the back room and I said, just peek in. And I was like, Oh, Oh my. Oh, Oh wow. Okay. Oh Wow. They do that? How do they do that? Oh, that's happening. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. You've seen enough. Now we're going to the Monster, which is still there. It's in Greenwich Village. And um, uh, upstairs is a piano bar. And uh, he says, so what can I get you to drink? And I said, I don't know. Um, I heard something called a zombie, which is like 13 <laughs> different kinds of rum or something like that. And I'm 19 at this point. He says, don't worry about it. It's New York. Nobody cares. <laughs> So he got me a zombie and I'm like sipping and it. it's like, it's drinking sweet lighter fluid basically yeah. is what it yeah. is <laughs> with some orange juice in it. <laughs> and, um, so then we, we, uh, we stayed there for a little bit and, uh, some love, lovely people got up to sing. And there at the Monster, it's of course, it's the community. So it's like a slice of everybody's there. So it was great. And that's when I realized, wow, you know, I shouldn't be a, have to hide anymore. And that was great. So that I credit a lot, Barry Hendrickson. He was he was one of the craziest characters. He's still alive. He's got a little place called Bits and Pieces out on, over on Broadway right now. And um, he sells makeup and hair stuff. And he does, he did Cher's wig at one point. Really? Know? Yeah. Yeah. So he has a picture of Cher. And, oh, actual Cher, not the Cher Actual Show. Cher. No, the okay, Cher. The yeah. actual, actual Cher. Yeah. Anyway, so, wow, where did we go? We took a left turn. We were
1: talking about your grandma. Oh,
0: (laughs) thanks, Jane. (laughs) Oh, my grandmother is very cute. When I moved to New York, that was one of the funny things. She would – I was only here not even a year, and she made all these postcards for me already – pre-stamped so i could write her every day oh i know isn't that sweet oh so i wrote her i wrote her a postcard every she gave me like 300 so i wow. had my work cut out for me but i, I would write her like grandma because it's a postcard there's yeah. not a lot you can't just write a tome
1: grandma i saw the back room of the yeah, eagle, I saw the back room of the eagle and i went
0: to the monster had a zombie and sang at a piano bar it was awesome <laughs> um but uh so but she sent me all these postcards and she sent them with me and I would write her every now and then. And then we would we would speak on the phone because they said, call, collect, call, collect, call, collect. So i call, collect. And she said, oh, why don't you sign up for one of them soaps? What? Why don't you sign up for one of them soaps? The soap? Soap? Soap operas? Yeah. So it's just sign up. Like, I haven't thought of that, Grandma. Why? Of course, I'm going to just sign up <laughs> just and get on one of those soap operas. Yeah. Show up and say, I'm here yeah, now. I'm here. I'm signing up. Um, she said, oh, "Why don't you sign up for that Regis and Kathy Lee show? Because then I can see you." <laughs> so sweet. Oh. I mean, come on, that's so sweet. Um, anyway, so that's Grandma.
1: I love, I love Wayne. Grandma Jane. People, people have no
0: idea what the industry, how the industry operates. Oh, I, you know, I, you know, the thing why is, why don't you just go on TV? Why don't you just go on? Why don't you just sign up for one of them shows? Just be on one of those shows. It'll be easy. <laughs> Believe me, it is not as one has done a few. It is not. It is not. Well, did you you were 88 you said. Did you
1: have at any point like like regret of like what am I doing here? I'm you went from this
0: tiny tiny yeah. town oh, well,
1: to the city of millions. Oh,
0: oh, yeah, it was a shock. I mean, I remember getting on that plane, October 3rd, 1988 and um with my the plane ticket that I purchased myself. And I sat down in the seat and uh, it was in the very back of the plane and I didn't even have a window. That's how far back it was. And it was filled with, I, I like to call these guys, Bill Brasky's. It's like the business guys with the pagers on their belt and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they have their briefcase and they travel all the time. And so they're just grumpy. Um, I was sitting next to uh, a Bill Brasky and, um, uh, I was in on the window. I always like the window and, and I just burst into tears because I was just, it, it was scary as hell. It was scary hell. And, you know, no one there to hold my hand. It was all by myself. I did this all by myself. Uh, To take a leap like that is immense. That's insane. You know, you're moving to a city you don't know. I've only been to once, and that was only for, like, three days. And that was, like, just to check out the school and maybe see the Statue (laughs) of Liberty. And that was it. So I didn't know the city at all. Um, And I got on a plane, and I landed LaGuardia, and I took a cab to— uh, 73rd and Broadway, and I met, met the people at the school, and then I was in my new apartment, which was a shithole. Um, it used to be an SRO, um, and they decided, no, you're going to be rooming with somebody. So it was like maybe a 200, maybe less, 150-square-foot studio apartment that I shared with my roommate, Dirk Etches. And, and we made the best of it. We had a closet that was about as deep as your palm, so <laughs> you could open it up and you could hang a jacket. Um, I was like, why do they even put a door on here? I don't even know why they put a door on here. Uh, we had a small, small refrigerator and a hot plate. I didn't have enough stove, no stove. Yeah. And, and barely a refrigerator. It was like total college dorm. Luckily we did have our own bathroom because there were apartments in that. And I use apartments quite loosely. They were it was but it was mine and it was $275 a month. Can you imagine? Oh my God. Can you imagine playing $275 a month? It was a slum, basically. Yeah, and for know? New York, yeah. And I asked I asked the, the uh, housing coordinator, so so what kind of view do I have? And he says, well, you've got a view of a tree. And then when I finally got there, I was like, I want to see my tree that I saw. And no, it was just a dead, dead, poison sumac tree outside the window. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> it was great. And um, But uh, I remember trying to find a job when I finally did get there. And I was so terrified that um, anyone who knows New York City. So I was on 73rd and Broadway. I went down across 73rd East to Columbus Avenue. And I went South on seven on, on uh, Columbus Avenue to 72nd street and came back West on 72nd street and went back to my apartment and I didn't find a job. So it was useless. It was pointless, <laughs> pointless. Not going to find a job. I went a block. <laughs> I went one New York city block and I didn't find a job. So I thought it's over. I'm never going to have a job. It's over. And you went back and cried and I went back and cried.
1: So that was, that was 88, AMDA's two year, two year certificate, yes? What's this? Two year certificate is AMDA? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. then, so then 90, you graduate. Yeah. You're out in the world. Yeah. And you made your Broadway debut in 94. Uh-huh. So four years is not bad what for was a was that, broad... Christmas Carol? That was uh, Beauty and the Beast.
0: Beauty and the Beast. Gaston. Was that 94? No, it wasn't. That's what no, it was I'm 99. Thinking. What? It was 99, I think. Yeah. Did I, did I typo? Yeah, it was, it was 99. All right, but 94, 99. that would, no, that was around when Brooks Eshmanskis and I did Paper Moon. So you are technically correct.
1: There you go, 94. Technically
0: correct. Brooks Eshmanskis and I met, and we were adorable. We were adorable. And uh, we, it was this new show based on the novel and movie of Paper Moon, um, written by Larry Grossman and the lyrics by Ellen Fitzhugh and Carol Hall. And um, we had, who was it? Christine Everson, Greg Harrison, Linda Hart was in it. And um, we, thought we both of us, it was our Broadway debut. So we did it out at Paper Mill Playhouse. And I had never worked there before. Um, this was kind of a humongous deal for me. Um, I remember I had a line and I had to audition for the show. Um, well, of course I had to audition for the show, but my, my roommate, uh, my former roommate, Katie Finneran, It's so crazy how you know people from your life. Andre Burns was my roommate at one point, too. Crazy. (laughs) Crazy. Anyway, so um, I called her when I got this audition. They said, hey, here uh, is a line that you have to say in the audition. And so come in with your song and come in with your dancing and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to, but you're going to have to read this line, you know, because we want to see how you do it. I'm fine. And the line was, well, there you are. I wondered where you gone to. Hey, where's your paw? And so I called Katie Finneran on the phone. And I said, Katie, can you help me with an audition? I have a line that I, they want me to say, and I want to make sure that I'm saying it right. And she was like, um, yeah, okay. Because she was in my favorite year at the time at Lincoln Center. And so I, I said the line to her. She says, Chris, that is so good. You're you're so good. It's You're going to get it. You're going to get it. Like, do you think so? Do you really think so? And um, she was right. I got the part. I got this part, and it was the photographer in the show. I mean, I was other parts as well, but I, I played the photographer that I put Addie Prey on the moon. And there's a sad picture of her alone on the moon, and and that's my line. Hey, there you are. I wonder where you gone to. Where's your paw? And I'm thinking. So I got this part now. I might be eligible for a Tony Award. <laughs> 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 I might have myself a Tony nomination for my very first and for my one line. One line. They should make a category for best one line. One line. Or yeah, be, best, 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 best role, cross.
1: Best role with. Best cross. Yeah, best cross with under ten lines yes, in a Broadway exactly. production. Yeah. yeah, yeah, best breakout role. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? So, so with, let, I'll just I'll just wrap up on Paper Moon because it was quite the experience and it was quite the awakening for a young actor who wants to be on Broadway so badly and the first time it ever happens to you it doesn't happen um the box office was open at the Marriott Marquis Theater and our poster or our, our our marquee was up and um our names were on the poster board you know the the, the whatever they call that what do they call that the box the thing with the names. With the what name is, what is that called the, 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 the box with the name box, box names, the thing, not, you know, yeah. so your, our names are so, come on it. So The Broadway cast box I, names. Yeah. yeah. It's the thrill of seeing your name on a Broadway theater in a Broadway show that you're part of for the very first time. That is insanely cool. That's great. So uh, Roger Berlinde, our producer, um, things weren't going well out of town. Um, people were fighting and it was just, you know, but Brooks and I, we didn't really know this because it was our first, first experience. So we're just like, hey, I guess this is what it's like. Fine. Yay. But we were so excited. So Roger Berlin comes in one day, about two weeks prior to us closing uh, at Paper Mill Playhouse. And he and he has he says, I just wanted to talk to everybody. I have everyone's Broadway contracts right here. And he said, I want you all to sign them right now. And we all signed that Broadway contract right there, then and there. And he says, made sure that everyone got, signed them and got them back to him. And then after he says, as long as now that I have them all back, I just want to let you know we're not going to Broadway. Now, the thing about that is per equity and the production rules is you, you, if a show closes after you, after you sign your Broadway contract, but you never go to Broadway, you get two weeks pay of Broadway. Mm-hmm. Now, some producers would never, ever do that. But Roger Berlin was not that producer. Roger Berlin was classy. He's always well, he's still, I think he's still alive, but he was wonderful. He was wonderful. And he made sure because he knew there were a lot of people going to be crushed and disappointed. So he made sure that we signed a Broadway contract and we got two weeks Broadway pay. I mean that is cool. That's classy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's respectable. Mm. Really classy. So that's why I count Paper Moon as a Broadway show. Huh? Yeah, that's very cool. Um, he didn't have to
1: do that. No, he didn't have to no. at all.
0: That's. you I mean, could that, have said, "We're not going in." Bye.
1: Yeah, that speaks speaks a lot to someone's character doing things like that. But the other roles you've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you you've been guest on yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah and uh, lord farquad and treks <laughs> or galahad and spam a lot yes. and now like, even trent oliver are the problem all of them are kind of um full of themselves yeah
0: yeah it Is apparently that's my gift that there's two things I, I if if it's funny and i can hurt myself get Seber. <laughs> i've hurt myself so many times um and yes i play arrogant very well apparently I guess, I guess, because I'm completely not that way. Yeah, at you don't all. see, you don't I, see Americans. I, I am not. not no, no, anything. I'm just like, uh, but um, yeah, I found a niche and um, also a quick replacement. If you need someone in a second, I'm the, I'm your guy. I'll go in a show in four days, which I've done before. Which For which show? Uh, well, two. Well, three, maybe four. I don't know. Let's see. Um, well, lot was one um, because what happened was I. I was supposed to audition for the show originally, but I had just come back from doing company in Los Angeles at reprise and playing Bobby and that show and that role will make you kind of go down a rabbit hole. So I was so emotionally and physically exhausted. (laughs) And I took the red eye home to audition at like 11 AM from Los Angeles. And I slept through the whole thing and I didn't wake up till four and my phone was ringing like crazy and people thought I was dead. Um, my husband finally came in and he woke me up. He says, you missed your audition. I was like, what, 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 what happened? So I missed the audition. So I didn't get the job. Doug Sills got the job. Anyway, months, months had passed. And, um, uh, Doug decided that he doesn't, he doesn't understand the comedy of this. And he wanted to leave. He wants to go. I know he, he, he was like, I'm, it's time to go. I was, so Bob Boyette, um, who was the producer of the show was a friend of mine who produced my first TV show. He, he said, I have something for you, and you can't say anything. All I have to say is, I need you tomorrow, and call. Have your agent call Tara Rubin, the casting director. I was like, that's very cryptic, Bob. That's very cryptic. What is it? He said, I need you to come in to replace Doug Sills in Spamalot. I was like, oh shit, that's insane. Okay, great. Okay, so. Uh, the next morning, I get a call from Tara Rubin, and it's seven a m. and uh, I'm doing city opera at the time, so i'm I'm up until eleven thirty, you know, late, and you uh, get a call. So I'm sleeping in normally. And she says, "Hey, can you be in front of Mike Nichols and Eric Idol <laughs> the next day uh, at, at by uh, I think it was uh, nine thirty or ten a m or something. Can you do that? And I said, uh, I call me back because I really don't know what. I'm, what you're saying anymore because I just woke up. I, hold on, just give me a second. So she sends me the script and she sends me the sides. She said, can you read the script? And I was like, I have an hour to read an entire script and memorize the sides. She says, yeah. Do you have a comedy song? I said, no, but I'll find one. I'll make I'll make something up. It's fine. So I go in there. And luckily the scene that I was doing, because I love Monty Python and I, I grew up watching that because that was the one channel that you could get in Minnesota mm-hmm. was PBS and they would play Monty Python after 10 p.m., which is way past my bedtime. So I would sneak downstairs and watch it, watch Monty Python. It made me laugh. But then the, the Holy Grail movie came out, and I watched that incessantly, like to the point where it was like crack. It was like crack. I had to have it. I had to have it. I had to watch it. So the scene they gave me was Dennis Mudd scene, which is what we call Dennis Mud scene. Um, and I knew it like the back of my hand because I've known it my entire life. And so I looked at the side and was like, oh, I know this. I even know the <laughs> dialect. I know everything about it. So I went in there, and I um, that was – and Mike Nichols even said, "My boy, how how do you know this scene? It's so complicated." And I was like, "I've known this since I was nine. Okay. And he says, "Okay, all right." Yeah. <laughs> then I sang, and then I sang, and then I sang uh, "Agony" um, from Into the Woods, but mm-hmm. I sang it like uh, a, someone with a split personality, and apparently it worked because they laughed. So, and then uh, then that day that 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 day I started rehearsals. And they were, we were going to Chicago to, to, to start the show in, in, at the Schubert Theater in Chicago. Uh, I The first thing they did was they threw me into the other room to get my measurements and put a costume on me and started doing the costumes. And um, then that's the first time I ever met Sada Ramirez, and they shoved me in a room with her, and we did the song that goes like this. And then I, that night, I burst into tears crying, freaking out, because <laughs> I was like, ah, what's happening? What's happening? So, but that was – and then um, – uh, yeah, so Fast, that was a quick replacement. Uh, a quick replacement was in Thoroughly Modern Millie after I took over from Mark Kudish after I did Into the Woods. No, was it? Yeah, Into the Woods. Um, and I, they gave me four days, and so I did that, which is crazy to learn a patter song like that in four days. You know, you'll never forget a patter song. Mm-mm. In close, you'll find a small container of the stuff I talk about. Just carefully leave, remove the lid, and take a whiff of you without that. You never forget those. Um, and then I went into, uh, let's see, oh, uh La Cage aux uh, with Harvey Firestein at mm-hmm. the Longacre Theater, where the prom is playing right yep. now, and um, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, uh, who was playing George at the time, uh, had hip surgery or something, and he just couldn't even—he could barely move anymore. Um, and so, I was going to go back into the show Chicago. <laughs> this is long, long, sordid road that I'm telling you. But I was so I was going back into the show Chicago to play Billy Flynn, which I think was my third time playing at the ambassador mm-hmm. theater. Um, I get a phone call while I'm at the box office and them saying, saying, no, we don't want you to see Chicago today. Uh, you know, to refamiliarize yourself with the show that you're about to go into that you haven't done in five years. So yeah, let's go see another show instead. Let's go see Cage aux fall, which is great. Fine. Whatever you want. Uh, I went over there. Harvey is a, a good friend of mine. So I'm, I'm watching him and Jeffrey's tambour is nowhere to be found. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, well, that's odd. My friend Chris Hoke, who had understudied me many times, is on stage opposite him, as George. And after the show, David Bobani, the, the producer, finds me in my seat and he grabs me and he says, Harvey wants to see you. And I was like, of course, of course, absolutely. So I go up backstage after the show and I knock on Harvey's dressing room dressing room door and all you hear is, enter! <laughs> and um, he's strapped in like a, a towel, like robe with like a turban on and, and a... And he's, his eyes get really big and he opens the door and he said, Get in here. He grabs me, he slams the door, he throws me on his couch. He says, Are you gonna do the show with me? Are you gonna do the show with me? I was like, What are you talking about? I have no idea what's going on. He said, Jeffrey Tambor just up and left. He just up and left me. I had one night, one night stands that lasted longer. <laughs> and so <laughs> Jeffrey just left. So I said, I, I don't, okay, what? What's happening? He says, Yeah, so I want you to do it opposite me. And I was like, Oh, yes, yes. When do I start? Now. Like, okay, okay, okay. So seven days later, I'm playing opposite <laughs> Harvey. They gave me more time, but I was like, come on, let's just do it. Let's just throw it in there. Let's just go. You know, anybody who knows the show knows Harvey. And, and at this point, anybody seeing the show knows the drama because it was, it was you know, Michael Reel did a thing about it and it was like crazy, you know, look at him go. And it was, of course, just terrifying. But of course I was there with my friend. Harvey, so yeah. and he guided me, and to watch him do that was was insane.
1: It was a very good impression.
0: Oh well, I've I've known him a long time. Yeah, him a long <laughs> do time. you ever personate him for him? No,
1: no. <laughs> but I can tell when he has a cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I want to fast forward to the to the prom here yes. because you've been uh, you were involved. Gosh, since day one. Day one, yeah. seven. How it's many almost, years? Almost ago? seven years.
0: Seven years ago, ago We're right? We're not quite sure the date, but it's we just keep saying seven. Yeah. Because it is pretty much seven years. Yeah. But you've, like, the character was created for you. Yeah. Like, how, how, tell me that whole story. Like, well, what? it. Uh, so, what happened, you know, uh, Casey Nicolau and I worked together a couple times as uh thoroughly uh, modern millie. He was in the ensemble. Um, and uh, I was Trevor Graydon. Yeah, Trevor Graydon. And, and, but we, you know, Broadway's weird because you know, everybody, even though if you never work with each other, you, you just know each other. It's mm-hmm. just high school where everybody's cool and everybody's fun. And, um, so I was walking on the street one day and we did spam lot, of course. And after he he just approached me, and he says, Hey, 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 I was, I was about to call you. I was like, what? I said, I've got something for you. I was like, what, what, what is it? We don't know. I'm like, okay, great. Sounds fun. <laughs> and he says, uh, I'll call you in like two weeks and uh, we'll meet up at my place and we'll just read it. Because we, we don't know what it is, but we think we're, there's something there. So I said, great. So I get there and Brooks, Beth, Angie, and myself are there. And Matthew Sklar is playing the piano and singing. I think he had two or three songs already done. He didn't have all of them. Bob Martin was there, of course, and Chad Begman were there and Casey Nicholaw was there. And we read this thing, there was no title. Um, And I don't know if the characters had names yet. um, we had i think trent was always trent but i don't think dd D. allen was always dd D. allen like beth beth's part mm-hmm. um and we read this thing and they didn't tell us it they wrote it with us in mind that we just kind of read it and, and it, it obviously clearly just clicked with all of us because they know us well and it just turned into this and we we all kind of after we read and it wasn't even finished i mean we we didn't we didn't really have an act the end of act 2 until Gosh, right before we left for Atlanta, uh, which was five years, was four or four or five years later. And we just clicked and we all kind of sat back in our chair like, wow, this is something. This is something cool. And we all, four of us, have never not been involved. We've No one else has played these parts ever. Wow. ever. And that's a rare thing. And it, first of all, it's rare that somebody says, hey, I wrote something for you. Come play with us. Plus then you know, I knew Bob, I knew Chad, I knew Matthew, I knew Casey, I, we knew everybody. So it was like getting into a room with people and just kind of playing. And it was the safest, most comfortable I, I, for comedy to be in. Because if we were gonna make a mistake, make it. And it was awesome. And then we can point and laugh at each other. That's what we did, the entire process. The room that we were in creating this, the rooms that we were in there creating it, it was always fun. There was always laughter. There was, it was hard, hard, hard work, but it was so much fun, hard work. Beth, I always say Beth because Beth is so brilliant. And she said it in an interview one time and I always steal it, but Mm -hmm. she said it was the easiest hard work that, that we've ever done.
1: Well, you all seem like genuine
0: friends. We are friends. Yeah. Like we are. We've 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 known each other. We've known each other for
1: a long time. decades, And it comes
0: across on stage. Someone asked, asked me uh, the other day, I was like, do you guys just like on stage, you guys just like improv and fooling around? I was like, no, because it was created that way. It was created where we we're just kind of throwing around things and you know using Bob and Chad's script and and then we would kind of add things. But if it if it worked, it was in the script, and if it didn't, it was out. It was fine. <laughs> and there it, there it was. We tried everything, and so people said, All right, "So you guys are just?" because It seems like it's just kind of happening, and which is great, which is what you want. Spontaneous, it's spontaneous. Yeah. Like yeah. it's happening. Like you're actually having a conversation, <laughs> and that you know each other, and that you know there are you know lots of different energies that you know, you like this person more than like this you like this person. And that comes across. And they they said, so you're improving. I was like, no, all of that is scripted. If you look at the script at the same time that we're saying and doing the show, it's all there. It seems like it's kind of just like whatever, you know, comes off the cuff, but that it's not. Yeah, the, the four of you together work work absolutely brilliantly. And
1: and yeah, it fits like it's obviously made for all of yeah. you in mind. Yeah. So and that
0: uh, never but- happens. That never happens.
1: Yeah, for the for the four originals to to stick with it the yeah. entire time. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Whose idea was it to make your character all obsessed with Juilliard? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: there was that was a um, there was a, a thing between uh, it was Chad, Bob, and myself because it was, Trent was kind of the character that they didn't because they really wanted to develop a story with with Barry uh, Brooks and uh, Caitlin Emma. They really wanted to develop that story and then to, devo- to develop the story with Beth and Mr. Um, Mr. Hawkins, the principal. Um, and Angie and I are definitely supporting characters. By, but um, so you the one thing is you knew who Angie was, you knew who uh, Brooks was, and you knew who uh, Beth was. But you, re- you really didn't know who Trent was. You didn't really know who he was. And so I was always trying to find ways how can you make him – who is he, why is he, you know, you, you know, just to make a character real and breathe. Right. So, um, I kept on coming up with his ideas that he was obsessed with. I based him on a couple people, one in which that he had a Tony nomination long, 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 long time ago, but he's still living and dressing as if he is in that era and he won't let you forget about it that he was once nominated for a Tony award way, way back, way, way mm-hmm. way back a long time ago. And so one of the ideas rather than Juilliard was, uh, that he would be wearing a show jacket from that era of some obscure show. Or then I thought maybe if it was like starlight express, you know, that he, <laughs> he still, but he's wearing like, it's a satin jacket, you know, yeah. so dated, but it was his glory day and he can't let go of the glory day. Um, and so they decided how about uh, that he's obsessed with Juilliard and he will just never shuts up about it. And that was one of the ideas or, or he or he talks about Starlight Express. He's always, talking, so we, we decided because who knew if, who knew if there was going to be any of lawsuit it was like, you can't talk about Starlight Express like that. But Juilliard, we've had a lot of Juilliard students come and they are like, Oh, you nailed him. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed him. I know him. I completely know who he is. And, um, so, but yeah, it, it, he was, he was, a, and it's, he's, a, he's a hard character to play because if you read, if you read it, um, it's, he, Trent's not funny. I mean, that's the part of the humor and why he is funny is because he's not funny. He tries to be, but he's just a bore. He's a weird, weird man and he's not funny. And that's, what's funny about him. He's mm-hmm. just boring as hell. And it's just like, he just goes on and on and on. And that's funny. Yeah, yeah, but so uh,
1: the the show itself. I mean, there's the four, the four of you are the four. I put in air quotes, washed up celebrities, yeah. exaggerated versions of yeah. your real life yes. selves. Um, but it's also like the stu- the story of 17 year old lesbian played by Caitlin, uh, who's barred from taking her girlfriend to the prom. So there's like a real there's a real message, there's a real re- yeah. retribution going on yeah. underneath, uh, like. What kind of audience feedback do you get? Has this, and has this like sort of changed you as a, as a person? Well, the
0: one thing, the, uh, one thing that I guess I, I don't know if it surprised, I think it surprised me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. When we were in Atlanta, we were at the Alliance Theater and we tried it out there and we, we put it up and that's where we finally staged it with a set and costumes and orchestrations and everything. And that's when your show really comes together and you kind of need all, of course, you need all those elements to make something happen. We would have talk backs after the show and we were still in development. So the show was not set by any means. We're still futzing with stuff and, you know, seeing if we change this, will we change that? Maybe, you know, and we would have talk backs afterwards and there would be young, it, you know, it's Atlanta, Georgia. So it's kind of a purple city. So we would have people um, saying, you know, young, young lesbians or young gay kids um, would say stuff and, and get, choked up because they finally saw themselves represented and then we had people say that um if I had really truly known what the show was about um if I knew what it was about I probably wouldn't have come but I'm so glad I did because it changed my mind mm-hmm. and um we had one woman uh, say uh Mrs. Green is kind of like the antagonist in our show and she is um Emma's not Emma's uh Alyssa's mom, and Alyssa's the other lesbian in the show. And we didn't want to make her an enemy, the mom. She's the antagonist, but we didn't want to make her an enemy. So we made her just, well, eventually, uh, a mom who just cares so much about her daughter and doesn't want her daughter to have a hard life. And so that was really hard. That was one of the hardest things we had to, well, Bob and Chad did, you know. Um, But there was a woman uh, at a talkback, and she says, I am Mrs. Green. I am Mrs. Green and she started getting choked up. And, and then we went out to the lobby and she said, I would like to introduce you to my grandchild. And this is um, my daughter and this is my daughter's wife. I mean, right? Are you crying? Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's how beautiful is that? I mean, that we hear that, that as far as f- feedback, we hear, a, you know, Ryan Murphy bought out our show one night. He, he had kids from the Hedrick Martin Institute there about 300 of them who had probably a never seen a broadway show and b never saw themselves represented in such a way and uh, it was the response from them was insane it it was like a sitcom audience they it, they it was the best audience we've ever had it it was just immense and the tears they had and i have a song in act 2 called love thy neighbor where it's about the bible and it's about, um, you know, you can't just say get, it says to be gay in the Bible is is wrong. So, you, you know, it says so in the Bible and we follow the Bible. And I said, well, there's a lot of other things in the Bible that you're probably there's a lot of rules that you're probably breaking, too. And they're like, well, that's different. One of the kids says. And then the entire audience of these kids were like, how, how is it different? <laughs> how, like anger, because that stuff, you know, you had to deal with their entire lives, including mine. And was like, how, and nobody ever responds like that, but they were there because they were trying to defend themselves, but then, you know, it's a great number, and of course, everything ends up in the happy place at the end, but, but uh, and at the, oh, it was insane, the tears. And every night after, after a show, every single, every single show at, at the, uh, outside the stage door, so, someone signing autographs. There's a kid or two or three or 10 shaking and crying, shaking and crying. And it, I, I give them a hug and, you know, and I say, thanks for coming, you know, and I, I see you, you know, and you matter. So, wow. God, I was I at a show like this when I was growing up. Right. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Uh, heard
1: from a couple others in the show too that I've talked to that just, they, they just, they see themselves represented for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, I, I can't talk enough, say enough good
0: things about right the prom. It, it, Without it, making, you know, we don't make fun of anybody. No. If, if you're anything, it's no. all us. We make fun of ourselves. Make fun of Broadway. We make fun of Broadway and ourselves. Um. I remember somebody was writing, it was like the finger point like Love Thy Neighbor, my number. It was like a finger pointery number. And I was like, well, it's really not, because it's all true. <laughs> We're not pointing fingers at all. Yeah. We're just kind of saying the truth, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we say Trump 12 times in the show and the song. So if you're, you know, if you're a supporter, you know, be happy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, um, in the interest of time... Oh, gonna, gosh. I yeah, know we're going right. to wrap up. Oh,
0: TikTok. I got to go. I got to go to the gym. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I, know, I know. I know.
1: I got to keep myself in shape for Broadway. So we have three questions here okay. that uh, I always just This have. the wrap-up. Yeah, this is the wrap-up. Okay. I always ask everybody to okay. close this out. The first question simply, what motivates you?
0: What motivates me? Yeah. Fear. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Fear uh, of? Fear of, like, not being able to do this. I gotta go. I gotta keep going. I it, stagnant. I can't be I can't just sit around. I have fear of being doing nothing. I have to do stuff. I have to do create something. Fear of not creating. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I accept. Okay. What
1: advice would you give to <laughs> Thank your you. young- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a
0: similar path? Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, as you get older, everything is, you don't know everything, first and foremost. You, I still don't know everything. I'm a lot calmer now that I've gotten older. Don't sweat stuff. You know, you, the stuff you think is really important right now, you'll realize mm, probably in five or seven years, maybe even less, it's really not that important. As long as you're healthy and you're happy and you're kind, you should be good.
1: Cool. And then last question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as
0: many times as you want, what show would you see? Not including ours? Any show. Including, you know what the thing is about doing a Broadway show that you're, it's a hit, you know, and you're in it, you never get to see it. Have you ever seen your, your own show? I have never seen my own show. No, I never saw Shrek. I, you know, cause I was in it. Yeah. a lot. never saw it. Well, I saw it afterwards, but it's right. not with us, you know. You know, I was like, I saw the other production, but it's not the same. So I would love to see <laughs> I would kind of like to see me and the everybody in the cast in the show at the prom. I would love to see that. Can I would, you can you call out one day and just I sneak can't in? see that's the thing. You have to be in it because we're the four people that are kind of like the clockwork. So if I was out, it would be really weird for me. I would have to watch me do it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like step outside, yeah. like being a like a you know what is that bizarro world a bizarro world where i you know because <laughs> i'd have to see the, the whole thing with everybody the original cast that's all and I, that's the thing yeah. when you're in hit broadway show, never see that's right
1: well we can find you online on twitter at the real seber yep and it's instagram, instagram. <laughs> man great great with the typos instagram at christopher underscore seber mm-hmm. uh anywhere else Not yet. Not yet. All right. They'll find me. Yep. You can get more of me and the theater podcast, theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon to support us uh, at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please rate, review, leave a review. We love to- Five stars. Five Five stars. stars. Five stars. stars. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, music by Jukebox the Ghost, Chris Sieber. Thank you. Thank you. I have enjoyed this so much. Me too.
0: Have a nice time. Thank you.
1: Take a deep breath make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro Music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work